Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for the season of Thanksgiving, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the people that are here tonight, Lord, that have made um, their relationship with you a priority tonight, Lord. I pray for those that aren't here that you would be with them, Lord, for those that have stayed home due to illness or something going on at home. I pray that you'd be with them. Pray now, Lord, that you would speak through me, Lord, that our ears, everyone's ears, Lord, will be open to hear what you would have them hear. Lord, I know that your word is living and that you will speak something different to everyone if we are listening, Lord. And I pray that you would just time for your glory. Amen. So I don't know about you, but I am so excited that it's Thanksgiving time, that it's almost Christmas time. It's a little interesting to me that long before Halloween, and you know, as you get older, you realize that it's earlier every year that the Christmas trees go up, and long before Halloween and all of that stuff. Um, I'm not happy about the weather. It should not be 90 degrees when the leaves are changing yeah. on, the, on the trees, um, but that's where we are today. So um, I want to tell you about a time when I got my first scar, my first physical scar, and we're going to talk about scars tonight, which is a weird thing to be thankful for, but it does work, and there's a relationship here. Um, I was about seven or eight years old, and I was looking um, like at Dallas tonight and Reagan, and I think those kids are a little bit younger than I was, but I hiked with my mom and dad and my brother. My brother was two years younger than I am, too, so he must have really been young, but we hiked the Mist Falls Trail in Kings Canyon, and I looked it up tonight, and it's 8.1 miles round trip. I don't know about you guys, but when my kids were little, they couldn't walk one mile, let alone 8.1 miles, right? And for some of us, that's even hard. Yesterday, I was blessed. We went up to the mountains, and we walked around Lake Gregory and did like 3.1 miles, and that seemed like a long day. But I was five or six or seven. I don't even know how old I was. And we hiked all the way up to this beautiful falls. And I remember sitting. It's called Mist Falls because when you sit on the rocks by the stream, you actually get really wet with mist, and it was really awesome. Um, we ate sardines. I don't know why and what was wrong with me, but they were in mustard and ketchup and all kinds of stuff. And at the time, they were good. I was probably hungry, but we used to eat those camping and even with the tail on them and, oh, and then we had crackers. And so it, it reminds me that it was kind of like the original, like, loaves and fishes lunch. Um, but I think we were hungry, so we ate those. And when we were coming back down the hill, I remember somehow... Now, this was the beginning of my klutziness, but I tripped on, a, on something, and there was a, like some sort of like a marble or granite rock that was very, very, very sharp. It was pointed, and I remember seeing this. Probably one of my first memories is like falling on this thing, and it actually cut my knee, and um, somebody had a bandana. There was another hiker, and I remember my mom and dad saying, you fall. Like, you know, I remember feeling bad that I like ruined the trip or something like that because I was bleeding all the way back down, and I got a scar on my, or I have a scar on my knee still from that, and it's a keloid scar. I looked up the definition of scars today, um, and the regular definition of a regular scar is um, a tissue, it's tissue marking a spot where the skin has healed, and it says that maybe the skin underneath is not healed, and a keloid just means it's a raised scar, and I still have evidence of that issue on my on my. Um, I counted, I tried to count today how many scars I have. I've had a lot of sec uh, like uh, surgeries. They've, a lot of them been arthroscopic, and so when they do those, it's not just one scar, it's like a bunch of scars. And for somebody that's never really been into sports except swimming, you'd be surprised how many scars I have. I stopped counting at 34, 
Um, I don't know why. And some of those were like two C-sections, so it's the same scar twice, but I didn't count that only one time. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty tough when I have surgery. Like, I can, I don't know if it's like a pride thing. I don't want to be down. I don't want to be in pain. I don't want to take drugs. And so usually when I have a major surgery, I kind of bounce back pretty quick. Um, and that's just something that I've learned to do. Um, I can get a hang now, though, and the whole world will know about it. Like, I complain about the littlest things, but the big things, I'm pretty tough. But I've realized as I get older that um, sometimes I think the emotional scars, the mental scars, the things in our life that have scarred us are way harder to get over than the physical scars. Anybody relate to that at all? You can have the worst injury, the worst surgery, the worst break, and it heals eventually with time. But sometimes these emotional scars come back time and time again, and we think we've healed from them, and then they resurface in a different way. Um, I want to tell you about a few of my scars, and I promise this has a good ending. It's not all negative. Um, first of all, I was adopted as an infant, and despite me believing, knowing, still fully 100% knowing that was God's plan, knowing that my parents tried to have children and couldn't, knowing that my birth mother got pregnant, um, I fully will always, always believe that that was God's plan and that I was made for a purpose. I have never felt like a mistake, ever. But, I keep saying this, but the older I get, I must be feeling old tonight, but the older I get, the wiser I get, the more I realize that although it wasn't something we talked about and although I was grateful to have a family and all those things, talking about being adopted wasn't something that we did. It wasn't like really like discussed. Um, my best friend didn't even know I was adopted and got mad when she found out when we were in high school and I never thought to tell her, you know, that wasn't like something I thought about. But I've realized lately that it left a scar. It changed me. Anytime you have a, an infant being kind of separated, torn away, whatever the words are, from their biological mother, it has to leave a scar, no matter how much it was God's plan. So hear me on that. I still fully believe that, but it left a scar. Um, the other thing that happened was during my elementary school years, my dad would, my dad was at a job. Uh, he was a super good man. My parents were married until my dad passed away, but my dad chose on Friday nights to stay at the bar and not come home from work. And I remember um, sitting at the, on the couch in the living room, my brother and I, um, early on, dad wasn't home by six o'clock. We knew it was gonna be a horrible night. We knew it was gonna be fighting. We knew dishes were gonna break. We knew all kinds of stuff. As my mom yelled at him to stop drinking and my dad was like, whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. And it left a scar. Really scary to grow up in your closet on Friday night crying because you're afraid. It leaves a scar. And that was only a, a couple years of my life, and it certainly wasn't every Friday. It feels like it was an eternity, but it left a scar. Um, and the other thing that happened was both my parents were only children. My mom's dad left when she was really young, and so my grandma had to work a lot of jobs back in like 1940. And it was hard for my grandma to raise my mom. And um, so my mom didn't really get parented in the way that a mother-daughter relationship normally would go. And so my mom didn't learn to be, like we call it huggy at our house. Just like, there were, I don't remember. I've even asked Greg, Greg, did, I, did my mom hug me? Like, I honestly don't remember. And I only knew Greg when I turned like 19, almost 20. So he doesn't even know. But from what my brother tells me, there wasn't a lot of physical affection and the words, I love you, weren't spoken. We knew that my, our parents loved us. But until Greg came in the picture, Greg taught my dad how to say I love you, which was an amazing thing that my, both my parents, it just, it wasn't modeled to them, so they didn't say it to us. And that left a scar. Now, all that being said, 
I'm definitely not complaining. I was super blessed. Those are just some of the things that have left scars. And you guys, even at your young age, probably already have things in your life that have left scars, right? Life is hard and life is scary sometimes. Um, but what happens is it forms, when we get these scars, it kind of forms the lens from which we look at life, right? My lens is sort of like, maybe I'm not wanted. Maybe I'm not as good as someone else. Maybe um, people don't want to be around me. Now, it's nothing that I think on the outside. I don't walk around thinking that. I don't even know that I feel that. But the way that I view things, the way that I react to things, the way that I respond is from that lens. And this has all like come up in the last couple of years for me. Again, again, like, you know, you think you get over it and pretty soon it comes back. Um, just so you know, I've been walking with the Lord. I've been a believer pretty much my whole life, but I did make a decision to follow Christ at 11. I was at a youth concert and I literally felt the Holy Spirit and dedicated my life to the Lord. Was blessed to have some youth leaders that were super great for me. They mentored me, they taught me preached my first sermon at 15, used the word groovy about 25 times. I don't know why. It wasn't like a normal word in my vocabulary, but I got hung up on it for some reason that day. And so I tell you that to say that, um, you know, even like Peter in the Bible, when he denied Jesus, he was walking close with God and he kept saying, Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. I'm not going to deny you. He loved Jesus, but yet he did deny him. Even though you walk with the Lord, even though you're close with him, even though you read your Bible, even though all of these things we do, sometimes we go astray, right? Anybody else relate to that? Thank you. I like it. You guys, feed, give me some feedback when yeah. I ask questions. Thank you. It's perfect. So I want to read to you um, from Acts 16, um, 16 through 34. I realize that's really small. I thought I was going to be able to read from there, but luckily I have it here. Um, so it says, and it's talking about Paul and Silas who were in prison at the time, and it says, in verse 16, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and instantly it left her. I was just wondering, anybody else ever get exasperated with people? People, yeah, yeah, all the time. I don't think my first reaction would have been to look at the situation with spiritual eyes. I know it's not like in my day-to-day -day life. It's interesting to me that he didn't say, girl, knock it off, you're making me crazy. He looked at it and said, I'm talking to the demon and you need to come out of her. Um, Paul knew his spiritual authority which is what we all have, because we are believers, we have spiritual authority. We have the ability, the power, God gives us the ability to say, I command you, demon, to come out of this person. God gives us that power. I don't think we realize that most of the time. But Paul knew his spiritual authority, and he commanded the demon to come out, and it did. And I, in my notes, I wrote commanded like really big, because I think sometimes when we pray, it's like, uh, you know, if you want to come out, demon, go ahead. Like, do we really believe that God would do that for us, command somebody to come out or to get healing or those things? I think sometimes we pray, I pray, I should just say me, kind of with this being timid, with the not really recognizing the spiritual authority that God has given me. The Bible's clear and it says, 
that if we follow Christ, if we believe in him, that he has given us all the authority. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can be seven or eight. If you pray and God will listen and believe, and you can do these things too. So we go on in verse 19, and it said, Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. So basically, she no longer had this demon in her, so she wasn't going to make money for the people that were making her do this. Um, so they dragged him before the authorities. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. And a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. And I was wondering, like, have you ever been going about your business, doing something maybe for the Lord, and you get punished for it? Um, have you ever been beaten for following God? I know here we don't, right? Maybe in Hungary prior to this, maybe in, that's amazing, by the way, what's going on in Hungary. I can't even comprehend a country giving the Christians access to people. And I don't know about you guys, but every single time we have a missionary come or, or something, I always go, oh, I should have done that. Oh, I should have done that. I like so badly wish all these things that I would have done in my life. Um, and there's just too many of them. But for most of us, we don't end up in prison when we talk about our faith, right? Not at all. Um, the story continues in verse 25. It says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. And it, when I read that, I, I actually wrote, uh-oh, um, my last two years have been nothing but kind of a big trial, and I have not been singing to the Lord at all. And certainly not in the midst of being beaten. You're beaten, you're thrown in jail, probably bloody, you're probably hurting. And I feel like we just complain. Like we get like a, somebody says something wrong to us or ignores us. We don't get invited places because we're a Christian and other people are not. And we get our feelings hurt. And yet Paul and Silas were beaten, like physically beaten, put in jail and chained down. And yet what are they doing? They're singing hymns to the Lord. They're singing praise to the Lord. And other people were listening. For me, as I've struggled with health issues over and over, I've been discouraged. You guys are probably, I don't know if you've caught it or not, but as I've shared in opening prayer and shared at communion a couple times, I didn't realize like how discouraged I was. We'll talk about that in a minute. But remember that I look at life from the lens of feeling left out and alone and that nobody cares. Some head's not a scary place to be, right? When you think that nobody cares, how come they're not seeing me? How come they're not hearing me when I share my heart? How come? Why do I have to ask people to pray for me? Why can't someone just come to me and pray for me? Like all of these things I've been struggling with. And I didn't wake up one morning and say, oh, I'm going to feel left out for two years. Like it doesn't happen like that. Especially, and I don't mean this, I, I don't know how to say this, but especially someone who, me, who has um, been walking with the Lord a long time. I didn't expect this to happen in my life, but it does. And I think it's a warning for all of us. Um, so I'll talk about that in a minute, but let's go on in verse 28. I think it says, um, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation. 
All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. Can you imagine his panic? He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself so that he wouldn't get in trouble. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the, dun ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sir, what must I do to be saved? Basically, he sees these guys in jail that he's guarding, and they're beaten, and they're in jail, and they're imprisoned, and they're still praising the Lord, right? They're still singing hymns. And when they have a chance to leave, they don't leave. Like, I would have run, right? We all would have probably run. But they stayed because they didn't want this guy to get in trouble. They also stayed because they knew this was going to happen, probably. They stayed because they had been witnessing to him through songs. And I have to think that it probably wasn't like intentional. Oh, we're in prison. Let's sing so that this guy may know Christ. It was just an outpouring of their hearts. It wasn't planned. It was just who they were. It was so much love for the Lord that in those moments, they just sang. I didn't do that. And I'm not like beating myself up. I'm just saying that I wish I had the faith. I wish I had the foundation. I wish I was the one that was singing for the last week, and I wasn't. But it's a good. There's a good lesson. Um, so, and then so they said, "What must I do to be saved?" And they replied, "Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everybody in your household." And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. Even at the hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everybody in the household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Paul's response helped the jailer to see the Lord. Paul didn't have to say, you jailer, you should become a believer and you shouldn't have thrown me in prison. Don't we sometimes want to like defend ourselves? Like you should have, I shouldn't be here. This is not right. God is God, and you should believe this, right? That doesn't usually work, does it? Sometimes our actions speak much louder than our words. And in this case, that's what happened, is that their response was enough for the jailer to, wow, I want what you have. I want that peace that you have. I want the fact that you guys didn't run. I want that. So Paul's response helped him to see the Lord. And I wrote, um, how has your response, how has my response been to our current trial? Who is seeing the Lord because of your response right now to what you're going through? And then I wrote, this is not about beating up ourselves, but rather being aware of the slippery slope. And like I said, first of all, when you write a sermon, it's, it's always like way harder for me than it is for you. Like I learned a whole lot more than you guys will ever learn tonight. But I do believe there's room for all of us to hear from the Lord. And when we talk about things, it, it makes us examine ourselves and our hearts and um, you know, Matthew, I don't know how you guys do it like every week because it's um, convicting. And if it's not convicting, then something's not right. You know what I mean? We have to examine ourselves first. But how has your response been with whatever you're going through? Is your response Christ-like? Is it showing the love? Marriage is hard. Some of you in here are married. Are you showing your spouse the love of Jesus when you're arguing? With our children, are we showing them the love? And I know discipline needs to happen and all of those things, but um, just it's just something to think about. And like I said before, we, I, didn't, I don't wake up going, I'm going to go down this slope. I'm sad about my medical conditions. and I'm depressed and 
all that. It, it just happens very, 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 very gradually. Um, and during this time, my hope faded, and I never thought that God was punishing me. I had somebody ask me if, or remind me that God wasn't punishing me. I didn't feel like I was being punished. I didn't feel like God left me. Um, uh, one of my doctors um, said that possibly I would need to start using a walker or a cane or be in a wheelchair in a year. It was a prediction. My daughter is here. She doesn't know that. Um, but it's not happening, so don't worry about it. It's not happening. Um, but, you know, month after month, some of you know I've been getting shots in my eyeballs and my eyes, and month after month after month, for almost two years, every time I went in to just this one doctor, it was bad news. It was worse news than the month before, and it was worse news than the month before. And, oh, this shot didn't work. Let's try this shot. Let's try a steroid implant, which is disgusting. It didn't work. It's supposed to work for six months. It worked for one week. That's it. Let's try laser. That didn't work. Let's try this. Let's try both shots. Let's try all these things. So you know what? It takes a toll on you. It also takes a toll trying to work a full-time job and leave work early for this appointment and this appointment and this appointment. And I got really discouraged. And I got really tired. And I got really overwhelmed. And I knew, like I said, that God was with me. But honestly, I thought God was going to be with me in the wheelchair. But I thought it was okay. But I thought God was going to be with me in the wheelchair, guys. What I didn't know is that that's not what God has for me right now. And there's two people that um, have changed the course of my life in this moment. David Derniak is here. Raise your hand, Dave, please. Thank you. David Derniak doesn't know me at all. And I shared one week about something. It was very brief, and he picked up on my discouragement, and he asked me two or three questions. He said, where is the inlet? How is Satan getting to you? What part of your life or your heart, where, how is Satan getting into you? Oh, I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm like, he's not. Stop talking to me like that. You know what I mean? But I, and I, I wrote down here, say what? And then this is the killer question. He said, when did you stop believing that God could heal you? And I didn't know I had stopped believing. And I share that with you today because some of you have stopped believing that your marriage could be restored. And some of you have stopped believing that your parents are going to be okay and that you're going to be okay. And some of you have stopped believing that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And you cannot stop believing because what happens is you get like me and you go out of, you get in your head for two years and you think that, oh, God is still with me. I was still reading my Bible. I was still praying, but I had stopped believing because I was overwhelmed with the bad news month after month after month didn't even know that happened. And so rather than reacting to him like, I, I mean, it just didn't even come to my mind to be mad at him. I really heard what he said, and I said, I don't know. And so week after week, for a couple weeks, when he would come, he would talk to me. He showed up one week. It was the, one of the greatest gifts of my life. Three pages of scripture on healing. Three pages, typed. And he said, take this and read it and believe it. And I did. I have been. I am still. And he said, when you're driving to work, lay hands on your legs. Lay hands on your, well, not, you can't do your eyes when you're driving. But <laughs> he said, the Bible doesn't say you only can lay hands on someone else. And by the way, I would have preached all of this to you guys. I didn't do it for myself. I couldn't. I would have still believed it for all of you. 
But he said, lay hands on yourself. The Bible doesn't say you can't lay hands on yourself. So I did. Driving to work, 6.15 in the morning. I'd be with this leg today, you know. I'm doing all these things. And he said, put your name in the scriptures. Like, Joanna, I am with you. Did. And he said, read it out loud. And I did. And luckily, thank goodness, I work in an office by myself. Because I'm like reading the scripture out loud. And I have it on my desk. And I made another copy. And I've given another copy to somebody else. But that question brought me back to realize what I didn't even know. Because again, it's like this gradual like fade thing. Um, another person that said something to me was, hang on, let me get a drink. I thought you won't be able to talk. Talking to Pastor Matthew. It's a few weeks ago, actually, on the phone. And I still, um, you know, I've already said that my lens is, my viewpoint is different. It's one of feeling left out. I'm not sure I entirely realized that till recently. Um, because I, it's kind of a hard thing because like, like all of us deal with hard things. But because I know I'm a child of God, because I truly believe that God made me special, just like you, that God has a purpose for me and a plan for me, I try to focus on that, and so to think about the idea that I feel left out all the time and operate from this perspective, I try to keep it in this perspective. And so I just was really, maybe it's like Pollyanna or whatever, but I was really trying to focus on this part. Um, but I was talking to Pastor Matthew, and one of my questions was, this is very brutally honest, but I think that some of you might be able to relate to this. I said, um, when I stood up here one week, I said I felt like I was naked, shared with guys briefly, but enough to where I think somebody would have noticed that I was really struggling. And I didn't hear from anybody, not one person. Now, before you like get defensive, don't get defensive, please, because there's a word here. But I felt unlovable, felt like I asked for prayer too much, felt like you guys were sick of me. I felt like me again, like maybe y'all don't believe that I'm struggling. I know, because I've been told this in the past, that it seems like I have it all together and I don't need anything, but I was here naked, and I shared with you how, how I felt, and that's when David picked up on it. And so I was asking Matthew, like, why? Why? Like, where is everybody? Like, we're a church. And two things that I've realized. Um, I realized that I was focusing on the few, hear that carefully, the few who didn't reach out to me, rather than the many who did. So forgive me if you were one that did. Know who you are, you know who you are. Number two, I'm not mad. No one's mad. It's not about being mad. For me, it reminded me that I need to reach out as well. When you guys are all going through something, to text or to call, we all get so busy. And that's one of the things Matthew said was that, you know, we all have tunnel vision. You know, we're here, we have an hour and a half or whatever, and we can hear something. And I've gone home from church, Greg will tell you many times, oh my gosh, I forgot to ask so-and-so about this. Like, I will read your Facebook post, I will write to you, and then I will see you in person and completely forget that you had the worst week of your life. Not on purpose. And so it, again, centered on me. Not, it wasn't about you. It was never about you guys. And that's what Matthew said to me. Matthew said to me, Joanna, he said, you know, in the last few years, most of our conversation have been about you feeling left out. 
And instead of getting upset, said, you're right. And so just, I don't know, somehow it changed my perspective. And I am grateful for people in my life that speak the truth to me. Because I'm hard-headed, guys. Like, probably most of you, like, I didn't get it. It seems obvious that I was in my head feeling sorry for myself. I still feel like I have good reason to have been there, but I don't want to be there. Just because we have good reason to feel sorry for ourselves doesn't mean we should. It's not what God wants for us. Once I processed all of this, and literally this was just a few weeks ago, those of you that know me and that have seen me in the last two weeks know that I have my joy back. I have been reaching out. Some of you have been recipients of joyful giving from on my end because I'm back. Like, God is back the way he should be. And I can't explain that except to tell you that we need to be careful, like, in our, in our life, in our walk. We need to have people around us. And I wrote down uh, lessons learned, which is probably going to be up there if it's not already. I can't see it. But... Um, Know, I wrote, number one, know what lens you view life from. And I wrote, perspective is everything. Even my husband, I was sharing him, with him these things, and he said, you know, over the years, it's been a little hard at times. We've been married 35 years. He said, it's been a little hard to make you feel included because of the lens I operate from. And I so appreciated that because, I mean, he couldn't have just walked up to me and said, you're so needy. Um, he couldn't have done that, but this was the right moment. And it gave me like a new perspective on his time and his grace in my life, and him knowing what I needed and him working extra hard to make me feel loved and encouraged. So know what lens you view life from. Um, number two, pray for yourself and believe, right? I prayed for myself. I prayed all the time for my eyes to get better. By the way, I forgot to tell you this part. I, it was in here somewhere and I skipped over it. The most important. Thing. When I went to the eye doctor about three weeks ago, um, first of all, my glasses, you notice I'm not wearing them to see this. this is the first time I'm not wearing glasses in years. I didn't wear glasses years ago, but my glasses got so bad, and every time I put them on, I would get sick to my stomach. And the doctor had let me go six weeks instead of four weeks between shots, and so I assumed that my eyes got so bad that my glasses were no longer strong enough and that I was going to have to go back to square one, and all this stuff. And I went in, and in the back, I have bleeding in the back of my eyeballs. That's what's going on. And so they take pictures, and it's really awesome to see the pictures. But usually there's this big bubble thing that goes up, and it's all red. My pictures, when I went in three weeks ago, were completely normal. Yeah. I came, I came home, and no wonder my glasses don't work. My glasses are too strong. So I, and she does, I didn't get a shot that day. It was the first time I didn't get a shot in almost two years. And I came home and listened to this. It's so embarrassing. I told Greg, wow, that laser treatment three months ago must have really done the trick. He's like, not because you're praying for yourself or because everybody's praying? I'm like, oh, my gosh. So see, like how messed up our thinking can be? And I was like, oh, yeah. But I couldn't even remember that. But it's God. So number two, pray for yourself and believe. It is not selfish to pray for yourself at all. God wants us to pray for ourselves, um, but we have to believe. And I did believe. There's a difference between believe in capitals and believe. I did pray and believe, but it was weak. 
It was weak. And as the months went on and all the bad news kept getting more, it was weaker every month for sure. Um, I wrote, seek and you shall find. God wants us to seek him and live in victory, fullness. And Matthew also said to me to be present. Matthew said I needed to show up. And I get that. But I also, here's my excuses. I'm tired. I work, I'm gone from home 10 hours a day. Um, I can't drive at night. I can't, can't get anywhere. And then I said, I wrote down pride is not wanting to ask for a ride from someone all the time. And then I also wrote down that when, and I am tired. Greg will tell you, like, I'm, I'm pretty tired after work. So the idea of going somewhere, kind of not what I want to do in the evening. However, I do know, and I had forgotten that when I, if I were to have gone somewhere, like to Bible study, um, and plus I, I had to literally miss the first one, and so I didn't want to come in halfway, and there's a bunch of excuses. But Matthew said, show up. I do know that if I would have gone, God would have provided the strength. I can stay up watching The Bachelorette until 11, but I couldn't go to Bible study because I'm tired. I mean, anybody relate to that stuff? Okay, God will provide our strength when we do that. Number three, find people to speak the truth to you. So important. I sat across from Linda and Brenda last Saturday night a week ago, and I asked them to hold me accountable for something. I've asked people to hold me accountable in my life, and they never do, ever. Brenda already texted me. I'm so happy about that because I need that. I don't know about you guys, but I need people to hold me accountable. Um, I can't do it on my own at all. Um, and I don't always know that the husband is the best person to hold you accountable because you're so close. And then if he holds me accountable, I'm going to get mad. So, <laughs> like, sorry, honey, we're, we're not doing that. Um, but Brenda, I won't yell at her, so we're good. Um, so find people that speak the truth to you. I have a hard head. I need truth tellers in my life. And then I wrote number four. I wrote down to speak the truth to others. Like, I believe that we're supposed to speak the truth in love to other people so that we can have, you, you guys understand what would have happened had I not had truth spoken to me? I'd still be wallowing in the self-pity. I'd still be not healed. I'd still be struggling. I wouldn't know that these things were going on. All I could say is that I've been in a funk for a couple of years, but I didn't even really know that. And that's the scary part for me is that I didn't know it. It took someone that I didn't even know to point out to me. And so examine your life. Understand if you are in a funk. Understand the lens that you're, from, that you're viewing life from. Understand what is going on. Because I didn't do anything different. I didn't not read my Bible. I didn't stop trusting the Lord. I Everything was good, but I needed, somehow I needed this kickstart. Um, and so uh, once I heard the truth, once I knew the truth, once I believed the truth, I said, I've drawn so much closer to the Lord. And today, as we talk about Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for my scars, even my internal scars. And there's a song that um, I think the words, are the words in there, Jonathan? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard this song. It's, it's by a group called I Am They. And we saw them, Greg and I saw them kind of as an add-on at the I think it was like the Fish Christmas concert last year. Didn't know anything about them, but three or four band members just started talking. They played a few songs, and then they started talking. One guy's like, I was a gang member and a drug addict, and I did cocaine. And he's like 21, okay? And he's like, I did this for three years, and now I'm saved. And then the girl was like, I'm young, and I'm divorced, and all this stuff. And they shared straight up everything about their life. None of it was pretty. But they sang this song, and I don't know if you guys have heard it, but I'm going to read you the words real quick. And it says, um, and listen to it. It's called I Am They, um, and find it on the radio or find it on Spotify or whatever. It's a beautiful song, and it says, 
Waking up to a new sunrise, looking back from the other side, I can see now with open eyes. Darkest water and deepest pain, I wouldn't trade it for anything. My brokenness brought me to you. And these words are a story you'll use. That's my life the last two years. So I'm thankful for the scars, all of the scars, because without them, I wouldn't know your heart. And I know that they'll always tell of who you are, God. So forever, I am thankful for the scars. Now I'm standing in confidence with the strength of your faithfulness. God was always there. God never left. It was me that was off somewhere. And I'm not who I was before. I don't have to fear anymore. And then it says, I can see how you delivered me. In your hands and your feet, I found my victory. Thankful for the scars. I would just pray today. I think we're going to have a closing song. And there's going to be some people up here to pray with you. If anybody has some scars that they need to work through, anybody needs to understand the lens or get rid of the lens with which they view life, people up here would love to pray with you because there is a joy in understanding just what God has for you. There's a joy in getting rid of this. There's a joy in believing that God can heal your marriage. There's a joy in believing that God will heal your body. There's a joy in all of these things. And it's not happiness but it's joy. It's only the joy that God can give by knowing him. And so I would just encourage you to be bold and come up and have people pray for you. Because like me, I needed a truth teller. You need someone in your life. That can. So thank you.